taking it back. Picture the scene. It's 2022? 20, 23? 2020. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe it. I feel like when the pandemic happened and we just kind of skipped forward two years, time has never been the same since. It's all just a big illusion. Like, but yeah, picture of the scene. It's 2020 and you're clicking on Sounds of the Diaspora. Shout out Oxide Radio because that's the platform we started on. So, Oxford student led radio kind of society. Loads of cool shows. Check it out. And if you check out Sounds of the Diaspora website, you can, sorry, check out Oxide Radio website, you can find the episodes from season one. So, go support them because they are promoting voices that wouldn't usually get the space or the time to be heard. But yeah, the kind of first season of Sounds of the Diaspora looked at first and second generation immigrants and how their experiences of dual heritage shaped their art and music. And this was very kind of London focused, focused on kind of the people around me I'd met in the London kind of uni creative scene, looking at the influence of black music on the modern ish, his, uh, uh, industry, bruh, and how like new emerging genres kind of come and, you know, shape the way music is consumed. So. We kind of started looking at Nigerian diaspora because obviously I'm Nigerian. I'm on Niger. You can tell by my surname, Ogundami C. It's kind of like whenever I'm walking down the street, or maybe not whenever I'm walking down the street, but when I meet people, it's very much like you're Nigerian, no doubt. I get Ghanaian and Jamaican sometimes, which is a bit rogue. I feel like Ghanaian probably comes from my complexion. I'm quite dark. Jamaican, I don't even know where to go with that one. Staying connected to your culture, so spoke to different people, asked kind of you guys, how do you stay connected to your culture? What mediums do you use? What does it mean to you to stay connected? Why and how is it important? Talking about oppression and some brazy stuff that happened back then. We're not even gonna revisit that. We're gonna leave that in the past. Um, had a little DMX tribute, obviously after his passing and looking at his impact on the industry and how kind of, you know, globalization movement around the world has led to more music that connects different cultures and really explores a very diverse kind of backgrounds and, and you know, motifs. Then we had a little clash, so UK versus US music, talking about those differences, just where the strengths lie. I think there's this thing in music where you kind of, even beyond UK, US, you know, female artists, African artists, there's a very competitive nature to it and competition is important to allowing people to be their best, you know, pushing people to excel. But just because something is a versus doesn't mean each in its own right doesn't hold something great. And, you know, I'm a very avid consumer of both UK and US music and they bring different ways, different ways of consuming to me, you know, UK music, there's gonna be that connection, that homeliness, like, you know, it's a Londoner, they're using ad-libs, they're using, bam, there's a song, um, what's it called? It's with Chip and them. Jumpy, Jumpy is a classic, right? I'm a, I'm a link it in. I'm a player at some point. But grew up on a dumb estate. Track world is a jumpy place. Everybody getting white boy wasted. There's some bars that I like. Chip goes and does a verse. He's like, belly up, hood low on the W three. No beef, but affiliations get peak. Basically something like that. But just me, I used to ride W three Ali Pali to school. If you're from North London, you know, like mentioning the places that you grew up and where you went, it's crazy. It's like, yo, this person has gone clear, and this person started where I started, and that's something very, very music like magical in it. So, but then you know, the US leading consume well, leading producers of some of the most amazing talent in the world. So, and then we did a little music review: Drake, J Cole, Kanye, some of my you know favorite artists. For different reasons um looked at grime drill uk rap discussed with a couple of my boys a couple people like declan producer you know 
my friend Abu who wrote advice so like people from different creative backgrounds and that was season one of Sounds of the Diaspora hey, hey. anyway it was good it was really good it was something I was really proud of it was a body of work that I felt like feel like reflects me and who I am and the things I'm interested in and hope and from feedback reflects you guys and feel like you can connect to me so that's what this is about connection 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 reflection protection okay do too much so <laughs> now there's this grant called the dr miranda braun grant and this grant is with affiliated with oxford uni and allows students even though i'm no longer a student to do a project something that's you know self-directed so that could be a film it could be you know an endeavor to learn to code it could be anything and i just thought mm, let me just see if I can put in a bit of money from this institution one more time before I dip. Put in a little application and here we go. Sounds of Diaspora 2 so has emerged. For this latest season, Legault was quite focused, right? I wanted to focus on Afro-Hispanic culture, music and identity. So with that in mind, I did a little research and thought, where can I go in Spain to begin this journey? Where is the black people? Like... And I did a bit of research, but also I was looking for the creative scene, the kind of musical, cultural, heritage um, kind of, you know, areas. And that brought me to Sevilla, which has been known as kind of one of the musical capitals of Spain. So it's the capital city of Andalusia in the southern region of Spain. Um, one of the fourth largest cities and named as the first creative city of music in 2006 some of the most famous music festivals in the world for example the Biennale de Flamenco and showcasing an abundance of kind of musical, musical genres dance genres which have been recognized by UNESCO in for intangible cultural heritage in 2010 so I thought okay if I'm looking for some creativity where better than the creative capital so if we look at the colonial Spanish history obviously Spain was one of the most aggressive colonizers in the world and their reach um, has kind of spread to regions such as Colombia, Chile, you know, Latin America, Dominican Republic, Uruguay, Peru, Costa Rica. So kind of the Spanish speaking populations um, exist globally. But my money <laughs> could not take me to Costa Rica, sadly, um, which would have been really cool as well, because there's a lot of kind of particularly in Colombia, um, Dominican Republic, a lot of like Nigerian Nigerian kind of Hispanic um, overlap because of slavery. Woo! Um, please, that we were sarcastic in case I, in case I needed to confirm that. But um, yeah, I thought, well, what's close to me, Spain, and you know, just like I exist in the UK as kind of a Black British diaspora. Hopefully, I can find some Black Spaniards. Um, but I didn't. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> but we'll get into that. Um, but before I do, let me give you a bit of background into Sevilla as a city, because it is an amazing place. Um, so yeah, Sevilla, some of the kind of the origins of some of the most famous kind of Spanish um, dances, music started here. So for example, flamenco which was thought to have originated from the Roma people immigrating from India to Spain and also from kind of like um, Arab, Arab, Iberian, kind of Muslim surrounding areas, right, um, in the 9th and 14th century. And flamenco is kind of composed of three different classical types of songs. So Cante Jondo, which is like deep song, 
Cante Flamenco, so kind of intermediate song, and Cante Chico, it's a light song, more light-hearted. And Cante Jondo is known as the oldest form, conveying intense emotion, usually dealing with anguish and death. And I actually went to my first flamenco show yesterday. And bruh, that was a whole story through movement. That was crazy. Like, no, I mean, there was singing, but obviously it was in Spanish and a lot of it I couldn't understand. But I felt like I was witnessing a story, particularly because this flamenco was between a man and a woman kind of, you know, responding to each other in sync. If you watch flamenco, it's it's probably reminiscent of tap dancing in terms of like the shoes and the so there's a lot of like kind of tap involved and um obviously two people when they're doing it together coordinating it's like i i saw two people dancing three people singing a guy playing guitar but it was like one body of movement it was crazy um and i could see it was like stories of love tragedy i don't know how but it's just through the music through the expression it was crazy um so flamenco is supposed to, thought to be strongly influenced by the Gitanos, known as the Romani people in Spain, but it has deeper um, roots in Moorish um, musical traditions, so kind of Muslim Arab influence from the time that um, the Muslims colonised this region of Spain. And you can see that in a lot of the architecture, the street names, that there's kind of um, Islamic influence, which is quite interesting. But then they got kicked out and the Christians came and took over. So it was a, it was a lot of change. Um, and a lot of kind of cultural mix. And that's one thing that's interesting about Andalusia. It's got inspiration from multiple parts of the world, creating maybe not a diaspora in the sense of, you know, you're from two places and you've got a dual identity, but actually a identity that is multifaceted with different sides and different influences. And it's interesting to think of Spain as kind of one region, one place. This is Spanish culture. But what does it really mean to be Spanish culture when within Spain... The culture is so diverse and actually different Spaniards feel very different to each other. Like I met um, somebody from Andalusia who was telling me about the perception of southern Spain, um, particularly Andalusians, as kind of lesser to their northern counterparts. Obviously, this is an anecdotal experience, but, you know, even perceptions within the country um, between the two. So we'll talk about that a bit more. But yeah, just a bit more about Sevilla. So... You can go to Tablao. I'm probably butchering pronunciations. I'm so sorry to any Spaniards, but I'm trying. Um, a bar which you can see flamenco performances. Um, they perform the Plaza de España, Puerta de Jerez, Square sometimes for free. You can go and see opera. So some of the most famous operas in the world were based off um, Sevilla. Um, and inspired by Sevilla. So the famous barber of Sevilla, Rosina's famous balcony can be found here. Um, this place inspired Mozart's Don um, Giovanni, Giovanni, depicting the Sevillian story of Don Juan. Um, in the neighborhood of Santa Cruz, you can see kind of um, opera um, areas and locations that inf influence famous opera scenes, like Plaza de Afaro, Balcon de Rosina, um, and yeah, many many plays um so for example the by Chase play in 1775 was thought to be described after a real event the story of a young orphan rosina played by elderly an elderly tutor bartolo who wanted to marry her and the young count almaviva also falls in love with her so following the advice advice of her barber figaro to conquer the lady she serenades rosina they serenade rosina um with food at, at the foot of her balcony and the Italian composer Rossini um, turned this into an opera which premiered in 1816 and became very, very famous. And operas based on Sevilla also include Donny Giovanni, 
The Marriage of Figaro, um, played by Mozart. Um, Fidelio with Beethoven. La Fuerza del Destino Verdi um, by Carmen Bizet. And many, 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 many more. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of some history and background on kind of the area, the place. Um, the architectural style here is incredible, you know. And like I said, it's a very, it's a mix, eclectic mix of different styles taking place and creating this kind of hot spot, hot pot, hot pot, not hot spot, <laughs> hot pot of culture, which is sick. So in the next segment of this show, I want to focus on experiences in Sevilla and then move on to take you through some key artists who have made great influences and maybe haven't had as much attention or kind of, you know, appreciation as Afro-Hispanic artists in their own right. And part of that can come from that dual heritage, that dual, dual identity and kind of sitting at the in-between. So let's start with a bit of kind of reflection on, on those 10 days I spent in Sevilla and see how what i learned about identity culture community and differences really what makes us different things i've learned in sevilla from speaking to not only locals but tourists and just different people i've interacted with like on my first day i came for a very peaceful solo trip and ended up i think i have this superpower i don't know if it's a superpower or a curse but i'm just so certain like people take a look at me and they're just like yeah let me tell you my entire life story all my trauma all my thoughts, all my feelings, you are the one. And <laughs> this happens to me everywhere I go. It is crazy. And I'm always just so taken aback, like, wow, you really trust me with your deepest, darkest secrets. But also, I'm honoured that you're sharing your story with me. So, I'll take it. A collector of stories, I'll take it. Um, so, one interesting thing I learned, um, I quickly stumbled into the queer community here. I don't know how they found me, but I respect it. <laughs> and I met... Um, this trans individual who, um, when I asked their pronouns, um, you know, and I was kind of curious about which ones they preferred, I asked if there was any differences between um, English and Spanish. And one that was really interesting, so they ident- they're non-binary, so they, they identify, you know, using they, if it was to be English, right? Um, but actually in Spanish, they use a and ella, and there's this difference between they in English and Spanish, right? Because in English language, there's a bit of linguistics. If you can tell I did linguistics degree. <laughs> but in English, um, they, I mean, there has it has its kind of like conceptions of, you know, people who are transphobic, like, oh, why are we calling people they? But they already existed before this kind of revolution of like accepting trans people more where, you know, you say it's just the third person, right? So like they're hungry, they're happy if you're speaking about multiple people. So, so when that became, or, you know, was more and more used to describe non-binary people, um, it's had less of an impact of being, like, loaded or stigmatised. It's still stigmatised, don't get me wrong, but um, it already existed, right? And what this person was telling me was that the equivalent of they in Spanish didn't exist. It never was a thing. So now it's the trans community here created this new word um to represent they but the problem is if somebody uses that to identify because that was kind of blossomed out of the queer community and the trans community it's a very clear marker of of queer trans identity which isn't a problem inherently but it's a problem in terms of people's reactions right obviously as soon as you say that word 
it's gonna bring transphobia i mean instantly it's like it's wearing your identity on your sleeve like i am trans and it can lead to a lot of backlash and transphobia so that was really interesting to think about those semantic differences those differences of origin and etymology which lead to kind of different perceptions of people's identity and different treatment of people and another interesting aspect was thinking about el so el is the masculine form here in spain in spanish and if you know anything about spanish you know el is used for well spanish is the type of um, language where all objects are kind of gendered so like um la mesa or the table or um why is my mind blanking what would be an l for example el niño is the the child the son um is masculine but also el teatro so the theater which is obviously not a man or a woman but you know it's gendered and this means that l is less loaded with mas masculinity in this country because it's not only associated with inherently masculine things so that also changes perspectives so it was really interesting thinking about gender identity and how those are affected by language right and somebody who is of kind of a dual heritage so say you have somebody in spain who um you know is half spanish half english even and you know you your two native languages are one that really places heavy gender um you know or has gender gendered language and one has less gendered language and how does that reflect how you think about yourself and your gender so these are really niche um nuanced parts of identity that don't really come up in everyday life and you kind of have to take a second to look at it and think so i guess i challenge you to think about the languages you speak and you know there's even genderless languages there's languages that don't use gender at all and um think about how they distort and affect not only your own but society's um ideas of gender identity so that was really cool to to learn about and to think about another interesting thing i um spoke to this person about was like andalusian culture and they spoke about um so just to reiterate andalusia is like the more southern region of spain and, and differs in culture from other regions like i said it's not a monolithic um country or monolithic identity there's a lot of diversity just like in the uk it's not like england ireland wales and scotland are all the same i mean if you're from the uk you know if you tell an irish person that they're english they will be pissed <laughs> and you have to acknowledge these um diversities in other cultures too you know i think way too often particularly people from the uk and the us generalize europe to think okay yeah the spanish are like this the russians are like this and it's like come on now you should know better come on um so yeah this person was expressing about their identity as andalusian and um relating well i was a little bit of side un poco side pero speaking about relating to actually african-american um tra travelers that they've they've spoken to about feeling ostracized um by the rest of spain and all other regions of spain and kind of being treated as lesser in terms of the ways they speak the food they eat different aspects of life and their identity seen as kind of you know the dark side of spain the the less civilized side of spain and it was interesting to think well this isn't even particularly about race right this isn't particularly about you know these are white passing people regardless these are spanish speaking but it's actually just the accent the simple differences in pronunciation the way the food um kind of norms and trends and the music and yeah it was interesting to think about this 
this ostracization is something that repeats itself throughout our societies regardless of you know gender race it just happens again and again and it's almost like we're naturally meant to be divided or maybe not meant to be but can't help but be divided and um you know coming from the outside it's just like wow this is a beautiful culture but yeah these differences exist and it's it's good to kind of speak to people and, and learn a bit more about it so another interesting aspect i noticed slash asked about so obviously i came here looking for the black diaspora and i kind of messed up by coming to sevilla to be honest because um i was so excited about the kind of musical cultural heritage and the that history here that i just didn't realize enough the lack of black people <laughs> and um it's interesting actually and when you get historical with it you can kind of understand where the country is at so here there's a lot of cantonese kind of immigrants um some north african immigrants to be fair chinese diaspora too but particularly like black people i often find myself being one of three i see in a day and it was interesting because i asked some people i met here about it and they kind of expressed that look so for me in the uk or for anyone who's re listened to this and who might relate it's like we are first second generation immigrants where for many of us our parents moved from their country to the uk or to the western world to start a new life and they still inhabit the cultural norms and identity of their home country so in my case nigeria right I mean, mine's a bit complicated with my mum and dad, but, you know, let's just talk about my dad and, you know, grew up in Nigeria, would call him a Nigerian man through and through. I mean, he's lived in England for a long time, but at the end of the day, he's, he's Nigerian more than British. I don't think he considered himself British, right? Because he's at that point in immigration where you kind of come to the country, but don't particularly have the same opportunities or abilities or um, desire to integrate with British culture because you've grown up and you've had that strong sense of Nigerian identity. So for that generation, that is the current generation like existing in Spain now of black people, right? It's they kind of like years behind in that immigration cycle where the black immigrants here are only just kind of have settled and kind of stay within their culture or within their circles. It's also kind of sad to see that a lot of the black men here work as kind of street vendors. And I was told all the black women, the reason I'm not seeing them is because they're inside houses cleaning it's giving slavery it's giving colonialism it's giving racism it's scary but um yeah i know it's kind of messed up to be honest and there's a very very clear specific image of black people here that i've seen right it's like there's only one way it seems for them to be and it's quite sad to think that people living here this is the only perception of black people they really have other than like well they only really have extremes because they've got this and then they've got in the media you've obviously got like the beyonce's of the world the usain bolts the the black people who are thriving right who are rich who are successful who are famous in their own right and it's like you only really see the extremes of the um the really famous and then also the ones trying to make things for themselves and you don't actually get to see what a normal black person is like not normal but you know the middle ground like the average person like you know what what are black people just like living their life in their everyday circumstances so that was weird to see and it was interesting to think about how people reacted to my existence as well here. But let me just say, I went out at night on the streets. I got Mama Africa shouting at me. I've been catcalled a lot. And it was interesting because my friend was like, when I'm out with white people, they don't get white girls. They don't get catcalled. So it's almost like there's this entitlement, fetishization. I don't know. It was freaking weird. But um, 
yeah so what's actually happening is that diaspora who would be like me who would be kind of dual identity british nigerian who consider themselves a, a bit of both who grew up in the home at home behind closed doors with kind of their african or you know black or whatever heritage but obviously in school and society at work are integrating with spanish culture so end up with this double-sided identity they are kids <laughs> they're like six years old they're only starting to kind of come into society and they're way back in that journey so it might be like 10 20 years they will be the diaspora and there hopefully will be a diaspora a black spanish diaspora community here but right now it's not here and it's um it's quite sad because that was what i was looking for but even in coming and not finding what i was looking for it i've learned and it's opened my mind to kind of the the time behind these things the generational kind of patterns of how diaspora is formed and you know maybe i'll find some some younger people to talk to and see you know growing up i mean i've only got anecdotal experiences and experiences from people around me and things i've seen but you know what about that side of dual identity where it's where it's really still being shaped and formed as a young person and and you really don't even understand the concept of diaspora but you are you are something you don't understand so it's really interesting to think about and see and yeah i mean don't worry i haven't stopped my mission i'm still going to look into afro-hispanic culture but the search is just going to have to broaden and it turns out this is only the beginning so i went to barcelona earlier in the summer and there was a lot more kind of um some similar kind of patterns but you know i guess they're probably a bit further along a lot more immigrants in barcelona as well and i guess i just have to go to costa rica or like you know somewhere in latin america that's the dream i'm just broke but like i think i have to because that's where you really see the direct like you know black spanish identity but i think i do want to broaden this season out to just explore identity in general from many different angles like i went to crete and there was a beautiful beautiful culture there um particularly musical culture that i want to speak about you know hearing about andalusian and queer culture here um you know having different friends from different places we're gonna broaden out this season to really cover a range of identities and just keeping it within identity but looking at it from different angles um it's very easy when you're creating and very fair to be fair to like put your personal experiences at the center of the narrative and for me i wanted to keep this very you know black um diaspora culture because that's me i need someone who's going to reflect me and that was what the whole first season about and that's not going away like i said after this we're going to explore some afro-hispanic really famous like afro-cuban like afro you know mainland spain um artists but there's also going to be room for other voices that aren't mine um and other stories because um it's important so yeah i've hit you with a lot of information but i hope you find this interesting like this season is way more informative analytical um exploring rather than kind of you know last season was a lot more like about the music it still will be but i want to kind of diversify what this this is and i'm also always open to hearing from you guys like what do you want to hear so I'm going to plug my Twitter, my Instagram, everything at the end. And please, please give me suggestions because this is, this is my story, but it's yours too. Um, In this last portion of the show, we switch our focus to specific artists um, of Afro-Hispanic kind of culture and heritage and really showcasing them in their own right and their talent and how they've influenced the industry. So I want to start with Amara La Negra, who is a singer, reality show star, rapper, and is known for embracing her Afro kind of 
heritage and her blackness, but also her, her Spanish heritage. So her, you know, she was born Diana Dainliz de los Santos to Dominican parents and she often found herself by her fans, this is in her own words, being questioned by African-Americans about her blackness. So for example, when she went on the radio show, The Breakfast Club, they asked, so why are you out there protesting? You're not black. Like you have to pick. Are you Latina? Are you Dominican? Are you black? You kind of have to pick. And we see this, you know, happen with many artists. We've got Cardi B. We've got other kind of Afro-Dominican artists who are forced to kind of affiliate with one section of their identity and aren't really allowed to exist in this intersection. And this is something that Amara experienced throughout her career with a lot of people saying negative things towards her and not really understanding that she is both. These are part, both parts of her identity and it's a common experience of people who exist at intersections, whether that's of kind of racial um, identity markers, um, you know, cultural identities markers, things about queerness or gender, where we feel like we have to put people in boxes and binaries when really existence is fluid. I mean, we should know better than this at this point in 2023. Existence is fluid and she's done amazing things throughout her music to explore her identity, employing both African origins and musical influences and Dominican, Hispanic um, influences to showcase who she really is. Amara couldn't exist without the foundational figures who were really key to the Afro-Brazilian jazz movement in the 80s, 70s and 90s. So just to mention a few figures, Sevilla Diego Figueiredo was a Grammy-nominated jazz guitarist, Brazilian jazz guitarist. You've got Orlando Bale, who helped form the Afro-Cuban Jazz Project. So as a Havana native and a respected flute jazz player, he played a blend of guaracha, bolero, traditional jazz, and including um, collaborations with singers like Wilfredo Campa, Aramis Galindo, Tata Guinness, Teles Cotto. So all these kind of late 90s Caribbean jazz artists who may seem very unfamiliar, but within the world of Afro-Cuban jazz are really, really important. You've also got Gonzalo Rubalcaba, a Grammy-winning pianist and composer, and he built his career in native Cuba and was discovered by Dizzy Gillespie. And in his youth, he kind of played keyboard and was one of the greatest pianists, considered one of the greatest pianists in the 20th century. He won two Grammys and two kind of Latin Grammys as well. So bearing in mind that all accolades come not only from the Western kind of acceptance, but also within your own communities. And, you know, he had a really, really big creative force and impact in the jazz world. His family was musical, so a lot of that kind of expression came from his own personal experiences. He even dabbled in jazz rock fusion. So showing that, you know, beyond, again, these succinct categories, even within genres, right, artists are really able to step outside of the boundaries they're forced into culturally, but also musically, and really expand. So some more artists worth focusing on. We've got Ibrahim Farah, who is a really important part Another of artist who won Grammys with his album Buena Vista Social Club um, and also released a documentary of the same name. His journey was really interesting because he was, he was kind of grew up in poverty and obscurity. His mother went pregnant with him faith. in the in 1927, went into labour during a dance in the Cuban village of San Luis and there he was he came out he literally was danced into existence it's almost like he was born for this but by 12 he grew up an orphan um and survived by selling newspapers and produce on the street 
By 14, he began his professional singing career by joining his cousin's vocal group, Los Jovenes de Sol. And later, he collaborated with loads of, you know, very prestigious artists, being a part of the Electoral Cells Jazz Group, La Ocuesta Chepin Chauvin Choir, um, and singing with Pacho Alonso, or Santiago-based group Los Bucucos. So he really collaborated and expanded again with outside of his origins. And over three decades, he became pretty much the master of energetic, up-tempo guachadas, guarachas, and sones, but also was a really great bolero singer with an uncommon sense of space and silence. So again, we see these artists are really able to be fluid and move throughout different styles of, of, of singing and styles of music between different kind of groups, collaborating with different artists of different cultures and leading to a revolution for musical horizons that was way beyond the kind of simplistic um, storytelling and going on to combine stories and combine all of these names you may be unfamiliar with, all of these styles of music, these kind of, you know, really distant, I mean, 1927, right, stories. It's to exemplify the power of music to connect beyond generations, beyond cultures, beyond genres, you know, inspiration is taken from the foundations and that's the only way that new artists can exist and thrive by old artists breaking boundaries and part of breaking those boundaries is breaking outside of the boxes that were ascribed from you from birth right boy girl black white i don't know city girl farm girl all of these things are just semantic labels to really refine us and constrict us to not really be able to reach out and try new things but the most successful artists are multi multi-genre artists michael jackson is the king of pop but at the end of the day his music incorporates aspects of rock jazz you know blues and soul and it's becoming harder and harder to put great musicians into categories some of my favorite musicians are the ones who i can't really tell you what they are you know, you've got Thames, who is definitely a bit of soul and R&B, but she does some pop stuff, and then she's got the neo-soul things going on, but even a bit of gospel. And there's some beauty in being able to almost take a step and live a day in somebody else's shoes and, and use music to showcase their experiences and come back to who you are. And that's what Sounds of Diaspora is all about. Taking a, taking a day in somebody else's life, taking a step in somebody else's shoes, having some insight, what does it mean to be Afro-Hispanic? What does it mean to be a black second generation immigrant in the UK? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be different? And throughout this show, I want to explore that in many different ways, shapes and forms. So that was my reflections on kind of Afro-Hispanic music, my experiences in Sevilla and considering, you know, the identity markers which bring us together, whether that be queerness, whether that be being othered, and next episode, I really want to touch on, again, the idea of identity and liminal spaces. So I asked a couple of you guys on Instagram, you know, what are the liminal spaces? Where do you feel in between? You know, where do you really get to feel comfortable in that intersection? And I mentioned for myself some anecdotes. So when I do my braids, I go to a Jamaican barbershop and auntie, shout out auntie Clara. You know, she has her one chair, but mostly it's a Jamaican barbershop. And that, for me, feels like a liminal space, even between two very similar cultures, right? Jamaican and Nigerian culture. You know, the music we play when we're there, the conversations had. 
I feel like it's a space of community for me. Even I'm transitioning from coming in with my hair blow dried out and looking kind of crazy, my natural hair, which I love, and transitioning into my braids, which make me feel powerful in a very different way. I come in one person and I leave another. I come in with these feelings and emotions. It's been a long day, it's a long journey. And I leave feeling healed. What is it about that barbershop that is a transitional space? I mean, barbershops as well, they represent something. They represent mentorship. You know, young black men go to barbershops and see these barbers and they have, they share stories, they share advice, they share guidance with women as well. You know, you go to your, you know, wig tech, your lash tech, your whatever, and you come and you gossip and you speak about life and they share their experiences. These are spaces of connection. And, and what I really wanted to explore is for other people where they find those spaces of connection. You know, what are the similarities between Afro-Caribbean culture? What can I learn from my Jamaican barber who's been cutting hair for 40 years? And when I go in, what parts of my identity do I leave behind? What do I shed? And what defences do I put up? And how do they come back down? So I really want to explore in depth these experiences and, yeah, really hear from you guys and from anecdotes and stories how you navigate those identities. Because at the end of the day, our beauty is in our duality and our multiplicity. So that was episode one of season two of Sounds of Diaspora. And I'm not going anywhere. So thanks for listening. If you want to check out the official playlist where you can hear some of the music I discussed, a link should be in the description where you can check us out on Spotify. And yeah, feel free to tweet me, message me on Instagram if you've got any thoughts, feelings. Bear in mind that everything I say is my personal takes opinions and perspectives and they may differ you may disagree and i'm open to that because life is about learning and about you know learning from each other so i'm interested to hear let me know what you think and thanks for staying